Support comes from Pacific Science Center, working to inspire the next generation of scientists and increase access to STEM education statewide through digital discovery workshops, science on wheels, and summer camps. More ways to support these efforts at PACSci.org. Good evening. From the KUOW Newsroom, this is Seattle Now. I'm Paige Browning. And we've got a couple more mornings of windshield scraping ahead with freezing rain or snow tonight. More on the snow in a bit. And coming up, how asylum seekers in King County are navigating the housing crisis. But first, here are today's top stories. It's Monday, February 26th. Starting with today's major news in business, Kroger and Albertsons may not merge after all, or at least they'll have to fight for it in court. The Federal Trade Commission filed a lawsuit today to try to block the proposed merger. The FTC says this giant deal would be anti-competitive and bad for grocery shoppers. Grocery workers who are unionized are worried about those same things. Faye Gunther is president of UFCW Local 3000. We have been opposed from it since day one. It's not good for workers. It's not good for farmers. It's not good for anybody up and down the supply chain. And if you shop at one of the stores, 104 of them would close in Washington between Kroger and Albertsons brands under the merger plan. Attorneys general from eight states and the District of Columbia have joined the FTC lawsuit. In a statement, Albertson says it is disappointed the FTC continues to use the same outdated view of the grocery industry and looks forward to presenting arguments in court. A man was shot and killed on a Link light rail train last night in one of four major violent incidents over the weekend. Late last night, a 26-year-old man was fatally shot on a train traveling between Pioneer Square and University Street stations. The suspect fled the train, and police have not found them, nor have they said what led up to the shooting. This is a first for Link Light Rail. A Sound Transit spokesperson says they've never had a shooting on a train before. Also this weekend, three people were shot and one of them died in Pioneer Square at 2 a.m. on Sunday, and two men were injured in separate stabbing incidents, one at Cal Anderson Park on Saturday morning and one at Westlake Center on midday Sunday. Suspects have not been arrested in any of the weekend's attacks. Winter is back, my friends. Skiers either took today off or wish they did. But let's start our forecast in the lowlands, where snow fell today in Shoreline, Everett, and even Seattle. And there's a cold night ahead, low of 30 degrees. Meteorologist Jeff Mahulski with the National Weather Service says tomorrow could be a tricky commute. Temperatures will be dropping Tuesday morning, and we will see temperatures near freezing. So any precipitation or any water that's on the roads or bridges could freeze uh, Tuesday morning. After that, rain is forecast Wednesday and Thursday before we get another shot at lowland snow Friday. Now the mountains. They are finally collecting some new snowpack. The top of Alpental has gotten 35 inches of snow in the last two days. And a winter storm warning is in place until Thursday for one to three feet of more snow in the Cascades. Summit at Snoqualmie called it the best skiing day so far this year. Travel is going to be difficult, though. Rent stabilization is likely not going to happen this year in Washington. 
It's one of the most talked about bills in this legislative session and would slow the rise in rents. But it's all over because a Senate committee didn't act before a voting deadline. Jeannie Lindsay has the latest. The bill would have capped the amount landlords could raise existing tenants' rent each year, but after weeks of back and forth, not enough senators would support the bill to vote it out of committee, essentially ending the bill's chances at becoming law this session. Representative Emily Alvarado sponsored the legislation. We did not hear specific feedback from senators about what it would have taken to get them to support this bill. A similar bill hit a dead end in a different Senate committee earlier this session. And while lawmakers say nothing is truly over until final adjournment, the chances for the bill to come back into the mix this year are slim to none. Alvarado says they'll try again next year. I'm Jeannie Lindsay in Olympia. Several bills are going to become law in Washington this year. Just on Friday, the legislature approved a bill to ban child marriages. The bill requires that people be at least 18 years old to get married in Washington, and that is now heading to the governor's desk. Another bill going to the governor's desk for approval allows pharmacies to issue abortion medication without printing the name of the doctor who prescribed it. And one more approved bill protects health care providers from being disciplined for providing gender-affirming care. presidential primary is in full swing in Washington state. And while there are eight candidates on the ballot, some voters say they don't have a lot of options. Casey Martin reports. Outside of the Northgate Library, Kimberly Hillis said she knows a primary is happening. I haven't been following it because it causes too much anxiety, but I do know that it is going on. I, yeah. On this year's ballot, there are five Republicans and three Democrats. But most have already dropped out of the race. I wish that the Democrats were fielding somebody else. And I'm saddened that uh, there isn't anyone else really in the race. I basically have no choice but to vote for Biden. Greg, a Republican, said it's time for Nikki Haley to make way for the inevitable nominee, Donald Trump. The chances of Haley pulling ahead, you know, at a place like this is very, 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 very slim. And if she's really Republican, she should get behind the man that's at the top. Washington's primary is March 12th. Casey Martin, KUOW News. While the FTC cracks down on grocers today, the FAA is cracking down on Boeing. The Federal Aviation Administration released a review today that says Boeing's work to improve safety is falling short. And this is not even about the door plug that flew off. This review was required after two deadly Boeing jet crashes in 2018 and 2019. The FAA says there aren't enough safeguards to prevent retaliation against Boeing workers who spot safety issues and that Boeing needs more input from pilots on aircraft design. Boeing told the Seattle Times it will review the panel's assessment and learn from their findings. And while we're talking Boeing, don't expect the company to move back to Seattle during all of this. The company's board has squashed a shareholder proposal that would move the headquarters back here. Boeing moved its corporate headquarters to Chicago in 2001. The National Park Service is giving a grant to Washington to preserve LGBTQ history in the state. The Washington State Department of Archaeology is getting $75,000. 
This is all part of an ongoing effort by state and federal leaders to preserve and learn from the histories of marginalized communities. It's also meant to diversify the National Register of Historic Places to mark the important places and significant stories of all Americans. Our feature story today. After the cold snap in January, many asylum seekers were placed into Seattle-area hotels to stay there for a few days. Those days have evolved into week-long stays, and those week-long stays have evolved into multiple weeks. As Gustavo Sugrero reports, the help is welcomed, but these migrants continue to navigate a continuing housing crisis and a complicated immigration process. Adriana Figueira and her organizing colleagues are used to the sounds and chaos of moving. This was them 19 days ago. This week at the sleep-in hotel in SeaTac could be their last, as they're expecting to have to move again. In the large scale of things, they've been moving from place to place for a long time, even before arriving in the Seattle area. They didn't come looking for handouts, she says, just a leg up as they apply and wait for the outcome of their immigration cases. It's not an easy fight, Figueira adds, but it also isn't impossible. They've been able to figure out how to house and shelter around 200 people in hotels, a fourth of them kids, for a month with the help of community groups and local and state governments. Worrying about emergency housing every week is an added burden for them, and they're always trying to raise funds through their social media called Comunidad Sin Frontera. The hotel they're in now is charging $70 for a room a night, 59 rooms, Over the span of 19 days, that tallies up to $78,470. That's before taxes, fees, and tips. Figueira and another Adriana, Adriana Medina, help organize with mostly other women. Medina says since they've been able to enter the U.S. under the process that has been laid out by the federal government, she says they want to keep going about it the right way because they want to avoid the trap of living in the U.S. undocumented or even worse, deported. She says they want to have legal papers, a job, and housing stability. There's two avenues that Medina and others like her can go about this. Depending on what they can qualify for, they can apply for temporary protected status, also known as TPS, or asylum. Both of them give them the ability to be legally present in the United States. But with asylum status, people are placed on a track to get residency. You can't do that with TPS. Las Adrianas, the two Adrianas, are saying, if you think that's confusing, imagine arriving in a country after a long journey walking through jungles and deserts, riding buses and trains, and encountering extortioners and saints. Las Adrianas are saying they thought that once they arrived here, things would go smoother. But then here comes another process. Jonathan Lotumba is from Angola. His country isn't on the temporary protected status list. That means he has to apply for asylum, which also means he has to wait much longer to potentially get work authorization. He's found himself in the tree-lined suburbs of West Seattle. Around him, other housemates, many if not all seeking asylum, hop in the shower, brush their teeth, and get ready for the day. Together, they're with the Movimiento Congolese Angolano. Through their fundraising work, he's also been able to find himself a lawyer to help. He says this is probably the hardest thing. He's saying even some of his colleagues who have gone to other cities have struggled to find legal help. With the help of a lawyer, he gets legal consultation on his application, 
which can often improve his chances of getting asylum. In total, he'll have to pay $7,000, $500 front, and every follow-up visit, he has to bring another $300. He's supposed to do it on a bi-weekly basis, but without a job to make those payments and only getting help from grassroots and community groups, he's in a bind. Both Las Aldeanas and Jonathan are encountering similar problems here, a need for stable housing, legal guidance, and yes, money, but more significantly, a too-long wait time to get work authorization, which can take five months, if not longer, to get. King County and legislators in Olympia are both working to find solutions. In the meantime, these immigrant organizers continue to fundraise and run through cycles of housing insecurity. Gustavo Sagredo, KUOW News. Gustavo will continue to cover this issue, and you can find his reporting at KUOW.org. Next time on the podcast, we'll go in-depth on the Federal Trade Commission's lawsuit to block Kroger and Albertsons from merging with guest Seattle Times business reporter Paul Roberts. Typically, the FTC goes and focuses on consumer impacts. The fact that they are looking here at worker impacts is, according to some legal experts, a bit novel. That's tomorrow morning's episode of Seattle Now with host Patricia Murphy. And that's a wrap from the KUOW newsroom in Seattle. Our producer is Andy Hurst. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. And I'm Paige Browning. Seattle Now and KUOW are members of the NPR Network. Until tomorrow, see ya. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.